I'm Mike Sheridan, and this is The Dell. Hey, I'm Mike Sheridan and you're very welcome to another episode of The Delve brought to you by Spotlight Oral Care. Use the code DELVE25 and for the last time this season, get 25% off everything on site. This season wouldn't have been able to happen in the way that it's happened. Certainly not, certainly with the backdrop and the equipment we've been able to get um, as the season progressed without the help of Spotlight Oral Care, who are an awesome Irish company and supported independent Irish content that wasn't necessarily just for uh, Irish audiences so hugely appreciative of everything they've done for the season and their support so looking back at this season I mean it's been 10 episodes and or obviously nine before today and I'm really proud of some of the conversations I say we because it's more than just me involved uh, with the show so Joe and my editor um, have been phenomenal with helping me and giving me tips and um, say less of that do more of that <laughs> or edits and stuff like that have been just uh, so helpful. So it's not just me, but looking back over the conversations and, and the, speak of the people I've spoken to this season, I'm, I'm really proud of the conversations that we've had. And today is no different. I'm wrapping this season and we'll be back in a few weeks when I'm wrapping this season with Mark Manson, who is the author of The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, one of the biggest selling books of, I got, I got it, I don't know, the last 20 years or something like that. Certainly one of the biggest selling non-fiction books he tells me during the interview they sold something like 11, 12 million copies, which, you know, I, I thought it was nine, which is the only reason we got to that number. He didn't just bring out, oh, the book has sold this many copies. He wrote another book uh, last year uh, called Everything is Fucked, a book about hope, which is another phenomenal book. He also writes blogs on markmanson.net and they're incredibly popular. He comes at things from a very, not pragmatic point of view but he comes to things from a very easily accessible point of view that his content is so funny his writing is so funny it's informative it's really helpful it's very well researched and he's just a great guy I, I watched so many interviews with him beforehand and just seeing how he reacts to certain questions and stuff and just chatting to him he's just a really cool guy really talented guy and again like extremely extremely helpful whatever about the two books um definitely worth buying and reading Definitely check out markmanson.net. He has got some phenomenal uh, blogs up there and you can go back and see some of them in archives or you can sign up for almost like a Patreon type model thing or a subscription service to read more of them. So delighted to wrap this season of The Delve uh, with Mark Manson. So enjoy the conversation and we'll see you again, hopefully in a few weeks. Mark, what's going on? Hey, how are you? How's everything over there? Pretty good. So, you know, 2020 is just, it's Groundhog Day, you know. You just wake up, do the same thing over and over. Are you, you're in New York, right? Yeah. And, it, like, is, has it gotten better there, or is it is like everywhere else, it's just kind of come and gone in waves? Uh, there's a little bit of a second wave here. Um, they've closed down parts of the city, not the whole city. Um, but, like... I mean, I'm I'm an author, right? So like, I don't really leave the house much anyway. <laughs> um, and so now it's just like double justification to sit at home all day. So I, I I go out once or twice a week, maybe go buy groceries or something. But you know, 
it's actually, it's been very nice. Like my 2018 and 2019 were so crazy and busy and traveling all the time um, that this has actually been a little bit of a welcome respite. I've been the same because I went freelance this time last year. So, and I bought the show back in March. So it's been great to have the show to keep me busy. And, but I'm not, I'm not, I'd be more of an introvert anyway. I'm not out all the time anyway. Myself, my girlfriend just moved in together. So I've been great. I've been able to do, I've done the, you're the last episode of this season. We've done 10 of them. I'm like, it's kind of been good for me, but I feel like the only time I get irritated or bugged by the whole thing, I've been very lucky, obviously, is when I consume so much media. When I'm looking at the daily cases, it's so bad for you, right? I know. Yeah, it's it's hard because it's one of those things like you you need to be aware of it, but and everything everything's so. I mean, I don't I don't know about Ireland, but like everything's so political about it, and you know, it just. I try to just look at the numbers and then avoid everything else, and just kind of try to be smart myself with it. You know, have you noticed in terms of how people interact with you? Because I know you respond to emails with people getting onto that, that sign up for the site and sign up for the, for the ebook has, you know, you've talked mm-hmm. about cultural tipping points and stuff before. Have you noticed a difference in people? Are, are there more people emailing you now? Yeah. You know, it's funny in the spring, uh, you know, the website grew quite a bit and then, you know, we have a, a paid membership, you know, membership exploded back in like April, and May. Um, some of, some of our best months ever actually. And, um, and then it was funny. So I was getting a lot of emails. We were getting a lot of traffic. And then in the summer, it was, it was really weird. Like people, it felt like people were angry. You know, I, I started getting a lot more, I guess you'd call it hate mail, but like, you know, people just lashing at people just being upset about anything, you know? And, and it felt like there was a couple months there where it felt like anything I wrote you know, I get like three dozen really angry people responding to me. And, um, and eventually, you know, it took a while, but I kind of figured out like, you know, it's like people, people are losing their jobs. They're losing, you know, they're getting kicked out of their houses. Like it's people are dying, you know, so it's, there's a lot going on. And sometimes, um, you know, some jackass like me sending a, an email hitting their inbox with an email, like that's the thing that, that sets them off. And it's like, it all comes out at, in my direction. Um, so I kind of, I kind of learned to not take that so personally. Everybody's going through a lot right now. Um, but it, it's definitely been a, a weird year for sure. I mean, it's weird people lashing out with you over email though. Cause you were saying that's kind of the more thoughtful response because somebody has to sit down and, you know, yeah. articulate an email. It's not a tweet. <laughs> it's not just an abusive comment. It's not an avatar, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I, I actually, I got rid of comments on my website like five or six years ago. Cause I just, I, it was the only people who comment, like it was only the people with the worst things to say were the only ones who were, who were willing to sit down and write a comment and it was anonymous and people could make up names and emails and stuff. So I, you know, back then the idea was like, Oh, people have to email me themselves and they're accountable because I know who they are. I know what their name is, like all this stuff. And, uh, it, it, that all went out the window for a few months this year. <laughs> People just did not care. They were just going to let me have it. And then it was funny too, because sometimes I'd respond and, and then, you know, the next day they'd, they'd reply and they'd be like, wow, I'm really sorry for sending that. I don't know why I sent that. that you know, you're fine. Don't worry about it. 
I love, I enjoy the YouTube is is the most hilarious place in the world in the world for me because I did an interview go viral a couple of years ago, and it's a clip mm-hmm. from the interviews with Jordan Peterson talking about Donald Trump. So you can imagine yeah. the crossover of comments oh, that have coming in there, and it's just like it's like this double whammy of insanity. So every once in a while, I log back in, but I have a thick skin. A group on the north side of Dublin with two older yeah. brothers, <laughs> but it's, I can laugh at it, and that like that's the only kind of positive ever really. Yeah, I mean, it's you get desensitized. You really, you really do. It's just you, you start to learn too that it's most of it's not really about you. It's people have got their own stuff going on, and and the internet is just an easy outlet for it. Yeah. So I I was sent the first blog, the Sutler are not giving a fuck, and then the same person who sent me the blog bought the book for me. I think yeah. just soon just soon after the book came out. So what is it like nine million copies sold at this point? Uh worldwide. I, I think it's it's up over like eleven or twelve. Jesus Christ. I know. I, I kind of just stopped counting this year. <laughs> <laughs> like that must be difficult to wrap your head around. That's like it's like no, it's like two or three million more than that. <laughs> um yeah, it was it was on the bestseller list here in the States. Uh, up until like about a month ago. So it was on the, on the bestseller list for four years straight. Um, I think it was number one in like 12 or 13 different countries. Um, yeah. At a certain point, I'm just like, I don't know what's going but Like I, I, I joke in interviews a lot. I'm like, I'll take credit for the first million, you know, everything, <laughs> everything beyond that. I, you know, I just, I got lucky. I don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> I, but you, I remember I've watched you saying in interviews as well, where you're like, you know, it's the book doing so well is obviously phenomenal, like one of the best-selling books of, of the knots, but you didn't necessarily need the book to make a no. living. You've been blogging since 2007, 2007-ish. Yeah. But you were, and something that I thought was interesting as well, where you said you failed a couple of times with different blogs before you found one that worked. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I started a number of websites and online businesses. I tried to do e-commerce and affiliate marketing, but it wasn't really until like 2011 that I, I felt like I kind of stumbled onto something that was working. Um, so there was, there was just a lot of flailing around and messing up and learning from the mistakes and stuff those first few years. Um, and yeah, it's, it's funny because the, the book, it's, it's actually really funny to look back and, and realize this, but I remember when my when I, I came to New York and I was doing pitch meetings with my agent and I thought I was like hot, hot, like, can I say shit? Yeah, you can say shit. Of course, it's like not, three it, times. It's after the water. Okay, show, good. It's fine. I mean, it's Ireland, right? I, I should, <laughs> I'm, I'm so used to American media where like they freak out if you say anything. Um, so yeah, so I, I'm thinking I'm like hot shit. I've got this blog. It's got millions of readers. You know, I'm making, I'm making like six figures or whatever. And I remember like very confidently telling my agent, I'm like, you know, I don't need this book deal. Like it, if they don't offer a certain amount of money, I'm not going to take it. And she kind of looked at me like, who the fuck are you? Like, <laughs> you know, I was like this cocky little 30 year old. And, uh, it's so funny to look back on it now. I'm like, man, I, Thank God I took a book deal. <laughs> well, it was funny because I know I know your the views on the site went down or on the blog went down in 2014 mm-hmm. because I've edited a couple of publications here. And around that time in 2014, I was editing a big men's publication. And a lot mm-hmm. of our driver of traffic 
just was the time, just was kind of how it was at the time was Facebook. So yeah. Facebook do this algorithm change and everybody's gone to shit, <laughs> like yeah. 60%. So did that, affect, did that affect you negatively at the time or did you just, just kick on? Uh, Facebook, we got hit, they did an update in 2016, I think April of 2016. Um, that one, that one affected us a lot. Um, we, I would say our, you know, my peak traffic was probably 2015, 2014, 2015. And then, you know, it was around 2 million each month. And then it, by 2017, 2018, it had, it had cut in half. Um, it was, it was around a million. Um, and, and a lot of that was just Facebook stopped promoting. Facebook tried to go back to promoting people's friends and family members and things like that. So, um, you know, now, now it's kind of come back, but it's because we've been focusing on Google a lot more the last couple of years. And you're still all against ads. You just, you, you don't have ads on the site at all. Yeah. You know, it, Early on, it was a kind of a moral stand. I mean, it still is kind of a moral stand. I, I, I honestly think the, the ad, the online ad business model is um, a, a large driver of all the problems that we kind of have with online media. Um, it's it's that, that constant need for clicks. It drives a lot of the bad behavior and the news organizations and the blogs and things like that. So I kind of just out of protest have never done it. Um, but it's just at this point too, I mean, the, the people are making less money than ever off of them. And so it's just financially at this point, I, I don't, I don't think I'll ever need it. And they're kind of talking about headlines and stuff. Have you still managed to avoid the more nefarious or clickbaity headlines? Because I, like I said, I've edited publications, so I know how it works Yeah, <laughs> you know? <it's- laughs> and I know how clickbaitum works and that makes it worse for me because I'm like, yeah, you know right. doing and it's working on me. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a, you need a little bit of clickbait. um, If you're just going to live in this world, you know, if you're going to live in the online world, be like, do the online content. So you need, you need some of it. I, I try to, to do it in a way that is not like, doesn't offend the reader's intelligence. And, and also doesn't, I think the problem with clickbait is when you click on something and then the actual article is not what you clicked on at all. Like it's the headline is not representative of what's actually in the article. So, so for me, the big thing is, is to stay true to the article um, and, and to just not go over, like don't be ridiculous and like insult people's intelligence, but like you do need a little bit, a little bit of hype and a little bit of excitement, whatever. Um, it's just the name. It's unfortunately part of the game. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt the show. I just wanted to briefly tell you about our sponsor for this season of The Delve, Spotlight Oral Care, which is an Irish company founded by two Irish dentists. Uh, they're a sustainable company, they're an ethical company. So long story short about me and my teeth, I had my teeth straightened a couple of years ago. It made me hyper aware of oral care in general. Spotlight Oral Care really recognized that and do products specific for people. And um, so I've been using their men's teeth whitening strips for a couple of weeks now. I've found them fantastic. I've also been using, which is the, which is the crown and the jewel for me, uh, the Sonic toothbrush, which is just a phenomenal product. It's got three different settings and um, it's got a two minute timer. So you're, you're cleaning your teeth for two minutes 
I'm using their uh, sensitive toothpaste and you're cleaning your teeth for two minutes and it just switches off. You're like, okay, I've brushed my teeth for the sufficient amount of time. They've also given us a discount code of DELVE25. So if you use the code DELVE25, you'll get 25% off any Spotlight Oral Care products on their site. Back to the show. I think where we're kind of coming into now and American politics resonates or reverberates over here so much too. Like Donald Trump has just become bigger than anything and it's like the next few weeks or could be months who knows <laughs> she's going to be even more insane and the news networks everybody makes more money because there's so much going on and everybody's kind of hungry for the hungry for the news or hungry for the information yeah it's it's um this is not an easy time to kind of break through the noise um everybody is it's it's almost like an addiction. Everybody's like addicted to, to to the election news, and especially with how contentious everything is, and how controversial Trump is, and and everything. Um, it's not, uh, you know, it, it'll pass a couple months. Well, hopefully, a couple months it will pass. <laughs> well, this is where we're at. We're like, maybe the elect we'll know the winner of the election maybe, after the election. I don't know. Maybe maybe I might I might hit you up to come come spend some twenty twenty one in Ireland <laughs> depending on how things go. <laughs> but that's been the most surreal thing for me where it's even looking at something like COVID, which should be pretty cut and dry and scientists and all that stuff, but it's become weirdly politicized. Yeah. And if you think one thing that means you align politically with one side or whatever. Honestly, it's it's it is kind of the the cancer of American society at the moment is that it the polarization here and the ability for people in the leader and it's it's everybody. It's not just the media. It's not just the leaders, and it's not just the people. It's everybody. Like it's everything is politicized here, and um, to the point where it's science gets politicized. You know, it's like scientists come out and say you should wear a mask. It helps. And it's, you know, this, this camp takes this side, this camp takes this side. And now you have pro and anti-mask people. And, um, and it's just, it's affecting everything and it's preventing, um, not only is it harming the country, um, but it's preventing anything from getting done. Do you still get your news from Wikipedia? Do you still do that? (laughs) The news should, the news should bore you. You know, what's funny. Um, so I did, I did do that for, for a long time, the front page of Wikipedia. Um, I actually, um, I, I actually have started reading, um, foreign news because I find that foreign news is, can actually be objective about American politics <laughs> or like what's happening in the U S. Um, you know, so I, and, and on top of that, when I was doing my, uh, my media tour, my book tour last year for my last book, um, I did a lot of media in the UK and Australia and Canada, and I was I was super impressed with the the journalists and and how thoughtful they were and how much research they do. And so I'm like, shit, man, I'm gonna start reading news like news from from the UK about the US, <laughs> like because and I've just found that like they they tend to uh, be more reasonable and more honest, I guess, about things. Yeah, we uh, we we get we can get Fox News here as well, and and CNN. So it's making a conscious effort to try and look at both, just to kind kind of try and see where people are coming from. Because I interview all different kinds of people, and I don't want to be yeah. 
I mean, I don't know what I think half the time. You know, I kind of know <laughs> what I think as I'm consuming it. I haven't formed an opinion yet. Yeah. It's funny. I, I did a, so I did an article pre-pandemic, like back in January, just telling people to stop watching the news. Um, I mean, it was mainly geared, geared towards Americans, but, it, you know, it had some info. It really, it, you know, it had that clickbait headline of quit watching the news, but it was really the thrust of the article was like, here's how to be more conscious of the information you're consuming. And, um, but it was funny when I was doing research for that article, I came across a study that found that um, it surveyed people who watch the major news networks in the United States. And then it surveyed people who don't watch news at all, period. And it found that people who watch CNN were just as uninformed as people who watch no news at all. And then it found that Fox people who watch Fox news were actually less informed <laughs> People who don't watch any news at all. <laughs> I was like, man, all right. Yeah, that's 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 the problem in a nutshell. Right, much. because well, you've talked about that. It's a confirmation bias. People just yeah. want to see shit that reaffirms what they already think. Yeah. And it's, I mean, the, the and the problem too is, you know, they, they've got 24 hours to fill. So it's, I remember, um, I was in an airport again, pre pandemic, but it was around the time I wrote that article. I remember sitting in an airport and, you know, in airports in the U S it's like CNN's on every TV. Um, and CNN was on and they spent like at least 30 minutes just showing funny YouTube videos. Like these are the YouTube videos that are popular right now. You know, it's like cat videos and like, people slipping and like falling on their head and and like that was what they were showing on cnn i'm like this is this is this is getting absurd it's funny because the last guest we had on was jake tapper and i Mm. kind of was interested because obviously he's from this very traditional media background and is very well known for it so it's interesting to see what he thought of not necessarily him specifically but just somebody like joe rogan who's at the top of that triangle and independent media and we're kind of seeing how independent media plays out now where people are getting their information and stuff from YouTube or, or podcasts or whatever it is. They don't need the 24 hour news networks. It's all evolving. It's all changing. Yeah. And it's, it's weird because it's, there's a demographic thing going on. So I think it's millennials and younger people. It's, we listen to Joe Rogan or Sam Harris or get on Twitter, like follow economists and actual like experts on Twitter um, whereas I think it's the older generation is still kind of um, glued to the 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 twenty four hour TV news and newspapers and things like that. What do you do to switch off? I know you're still, uh, or you've mentioned before, you're into the game and you like gaming a lot, right? Is that something that you do to switch off? You give yourself, you know, yeah. to, like, give yourself X amount of hours every day to not think about work, or does that just come easy to you? Uh. I am still a big gamer. Um, you know, it, it's, I think anybody who works from home, and I imagine a lot of people have discovered this this year, <laughs> is, that, <laughs> is that when you work from home, um, it's very hard to, to turn off. And um, it's because when you're not working, you feel guilty because you feel like you should be working. And then when you're working, you feel guilty because you're not like, hanging out and spending time with your family or, or whatever. Um, and so I, I've actually, over the years, I've kind of trained myself to get very good at, at having 
just kind of setting an arbitrary stop point for myself. So it's usually around five o'clock in the afternoon, but it's, you know, I hit 5 PM and I'm like, all right, I'm done. I don't feel guilty. I don't beat myself up over it. Um, and then, you know, weeks when the work is lighter, you know, that maybe that moves up to four or 3 PM. Um, and then when I'm like in crunch mode for a book or something, I just, I just work nonstop, you know, around the clock. So it's, um, it's definitely something that, uh, uh, I've had to learn to do over the years. And, um, but I think I've gotten pretty good at it. Does writing still feel like work? Does giving you volume of writing that you do? Because I remember I watched, uh, I remember you speaking before about, you went to music school, right? And talking about yeah. practicing six hours a day and am I doing enough? Am I not doing enough? Does writing, now that you do for a living and you've done it for a living for 13, 14 years, does it still feel like work? Uh, depends on the day. I would say most days, no. But, you know, it's like everybody, I have those days where I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> Do I have to? <laughs> and I actually, I wrote about that. Um, I, had a, I had an article that was pretty popular a number of years ago about, about like finding your passion or whatever. And like I, I said in that article, I'm like, look guys, like even I, I currently have my dream job. Like I am living my dream job right now and I still don't want to do this shit like <laughs> 30% of the time. <laughs> You know, like it's this idea that there's this like perfect passion out there that, you know, you're never going to, you know, do what you love. You'll never work a day in your life. That's bullshit. It's like, I still got to do my taxes and my accounts and I got to like, you know, call, get on calls with lawyers and stuff. And, and sometimes I'm working on an article or a newsletter that the topic's not that fun to write about, but I think it's, you know, it's important. So it's worth it. So I do it anyway. You know, it's, you never completely escape the grind of things. Um, I think it's, I think you just get to the point where, you know, 80% of the time it's, it's fun. Um, Like that, that's what winning looks like is, is that it's fun 80% of the time. Do you ever have people try and tell you why they think you're so popular? Like you ever have somebody go, well, I think you're popular because you speak to people or you get on people's level. Or I always find that really fascinating in interviews. I'm like, they would know they've made the content that's popular. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, with subtle art, a lot of people asked, you know, do you think it's, Oh, it's, it's selling so well because it has fuck on the cover. Right. And I was like, well, maybe that probably helps, but you know, there's like, eight other books that have fuck in the title as well, <laughs> you know, and they're not, they're not selling 12 million copies. So um, I think sometimes people, people are very good at identifying one factor. Whereas like, like anything, any, anybody's popularity, it's a multi-factor thing. Like it's, it's nobody is popular or successful because of one thing they did. It's, it's because they found a combination of five or six different things that work very well. Uh, and create kind of a unique combination. And and so I I think it's, um, people are generally good at seeing one side of that, but not not all of them. And I don't want to keep you for too much longer, Mark. I really appreciate the time. But there's something I wanted to touch on just before we go was on elite athletes, because it kind of seems to be converse to what you're saying sometimes. It's like, be the best you you can be or, or whatever it is. Because well, the NFL isn't particularly big in Ireland or, or the UK or outside of the US, really, I suppose. 
somebody like Tom Brady for me, and I can't wrap my head around why I'm so fascinated with the man, <laughs> but I am deeply fascinated with Tom Brady to the point now where I'm watching books games live. Yeah. You know, I know you went to college in Boston and stuff as well, so you were probably surrounded oh, by a huge Brady fan, yeah. But what is it about that? Now, he's obviously top, top tier, but what sure. is it about that elite athlete or that elite mindset that just makes us fascinated by it? You know, I... I think I think it's just human to be fascinated with exceptions, especially like extremely positive exceptions. So anybody who in, in sports, sports similar to creative fields, it's good at at creating uh, people who just stand out. You know, like the the gap between say Tom Brady and like an average NFL quarterback is quite large. And then the gap between an average NFL quarterback and your average, you know, person who plays football in their life is all is like monumental, but somehow even at that, like extremely high level, there's still a very large gap. I think that's true with most sports. Like if you look at like Messi versus your average football player in Europe, you know, like it's a massive gap and there's just something fascinating of seeing people who are that exceptional, who are like it, like that far out on the bell curve, like so far out that like you can't even see where they are. Um, and again, I, I don't think it, it comes down to any single thing. I think it's, um, there's almost, it, it's like a magic recipe of, of genetics, mindset, work ethic, environment, um, you know, luck you know ending up on a good team with good teammates or not getting injured things like that um that it's so every single one of them it's such an individual concoction of those factors that it's kind of it's just endlessly fascinated fascinating to to analyze and think about um you know and it's similar in the business world you know if you look at somebody like steve jobs or bill gates it's, it's, or Warren Buffett, like it's a similar type of thing. Like it's, it's not one thing that makes them that successful. It's, it's a, this like magical combination of things that you, you literally can't reproduce anywhere. Um, even if you tried. And so, yeah, it's just, it captures our imaginations and it's endlessly interesting to think about and talk about. It's one of those things where, you know, it's mindset more as so well. It feels to me like it's mindset more than anything else that. Tom Brady could easily be the rock or Will Smith or whoever. It's mm-hmm. like, if you decided that this is what, and he's Tom Brady's just an example where he's, yeah. you decided that this is what he's going to do. Then he was just going to excel at it to a, to a different level while the rest of us would have something to look upwards towards. Well, and it's fascinating too, because I, so this top, like the thing that I, I think is most fascinating about this topic that doesn't get talked about is, is a thing called survivorship bias, you know? So it's like for every, if you look at Tom Brady's mindset, you know, there's probably half of the quarterbacks in the NFL have a similar mindset to him, like a kind of a dedication and, and, a, and an intelligence for it. But then there's, there's just some sort of X factor or combination of things that still sets him apart. You know, like there, there are probably a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL that get up at 5 a.m. and like throw 400 passes or whatever. Um, or if you look at like Michael Jordan, you know, like – that type of thing, but it's, you don't hear about them because there's just, there's something extra or something different. Like there's, uh, 
you know, and, and it's sometimes I get, I get questions from readers saying, you know, do you think being a successful writer, is it more talent or is it more work ethic or is it more luck? And, you know, my response is it's all the above. <laughs> like you, you have to have, especially in a, in a, in a industry like, like writing or like sports or whatever, where, you know, really the, only the top 1% or 0.1% kind of get all the, the benefits. Um, you need all of the above. You can't, you know, you, you can, if you're not born with the talent, you can compensate for some of that with work ethic, but it's like at the end of the day, if you're, if you're going to achieve like very extreme success, you need, you need to have the full package. And I think it's people like Brady, people like Jordan, people like Messi, like they have the whole package. They have the mindset, the intelligence, the coaching staffs, the, you know, the, the family environment, the genetics, like all of those things, like they, they have it all. And, um, and that's why they're so special. And you're the writer version of that, Mark, right? Uh, copy. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. Sure <laughs> yeah. I can hope, right? <laughs> Let's hope. <laughs> well, I appreciate the time, Mark. Thanks so much. Um, it's, I've read your stuff for years and uh, it's, it's as funny and as informative as it's always been. So appreciate Thanks, I appreciate that. <laughs>